It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First down. It's getting down to crunch time in the Canadian Football League. Let's get right to it. Hi, everybody. Don Charbon along with Heath Graham. And Heath, we had some great football on the weekend. We've also had a lot of other news has come out from around the league. Maybe we'll dive into that first. Let's talk first about the loss of a real legend in the Canadian Football League, Angelo Mosca. He's one of those larger-than-life CFL personalities. He was an American-born player that came to Canada, found a home, and stayed a part of our league for many, many years. I know it's a big loss, especially for that Hamilton Ticat community. He remained a a staple at at games and appearances in Hamilton uh, throughout the last several decades. So a real big loss. He will certainly be missed. Uh, A couple of key stats for him. He had nine Grey Cup appearances, which ties a CFL record. And he was on five winning teams, one with the Ottawa Rough Riders and four with the Hamilton Tiger Cats, the last coming in 1972. And younger fans may recall him getting into a bit of a dust-up a few years ago at a Grey Cup press event, a real lively and colorful personality. Yes, Joe Cap has never forgiven him for what happened to Willie Fleming in the 1963 Grey Cup. And if you do not know what happened. Watch that and then watch that uh, press event. Mosca was a really old school type of player. 12 seasons with the Tiger Cats. He darted with Ottawa, as you mentioned, won a great cup there. He goes to Montreal for a year and then moves over to the Tiger Cats. He was part of a juggernaut Tiger Cat defense that ruled the 1960s in the Canadian Football League. But he was old school. He played hard, sometimes mean, but always to the utmost that he could. He never backed down from anything. And I think that's why in Hamilton, aside from the fact that he was such a huge ambassador for the Ticats after he retired, why he's so beloved. Because people who saw him play knew that he was a player. And a player of that era, he played both sides of the ball. He was an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. A a true throwback And I know a lot of the great names that you toss around from that era played both sides of the ball. You certainly don't see that anymore. Um, And let's not forget, after he retired from the CFL, he had a professional wrestling career that spanned another decade where he got to travel the world and continue to perform in front of fans. So a a real fan favorite wherever he went and a, a real loss for the CFL. And another huge loss for the Canadian Football League is that Bob... Knuckles Irving is officially announcing his retirement after this season. 47 years in the booth with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Started in Saskatchewan, wound up in Winnipeg. I asked him candidly when we had him on the show, ever thought of doing the Rough Riders? (laughs) He was quite happy with the job that he had. Yeah, uh, again, I think... And I'm probably a little bit biased growing up listening to him, but I think one of the best, if not the best, play-by-play man the CFL has had as far as radio coverage. Over 800 games called with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 
we heard rumblings after the 2019 season that he was thinking about 2020 being his swan song. As we all know, the pandemic canceled the 2020 season and we are fortunate enough that he decided to come back for one more run. And what a great final season for him to call as well. He comes off a Grey Cup winning season in Winnipeg in 2019, which hadn't happened in 29 years of calling those games. And to come back this year and, and see one of the best teams that the CFL has had in the last probably 20 years or more. It's a real great honor, I think, for Bob to be able to call that game. Uh, the West Division final will be his last official game. The Bombers awarded him with a Grey Cup ring after the 2019 win. The media center at the new investor group field is named after him as well. So a legend across the CFL, but a real revered person in the city of Winnipeg. He is also one of the most humble people that you'll ever meet. He is just a regular guy who is so thankful that he had the opportunity to do something that he wanted to do so badly, and that was call a Canadian Football League team. Now, there's one piece of trivia coming up with this West Final. It's something that Bob Irving has never done. What will it be? That would be uh, call a Western Division Final in Winnipeg. That's exactly right. Because I believe the last time the Bombers hosted the West Final was in 1972, and Knuckles took over as the voice of the Blue Bombers in 1974. He was likely at Winnipeg Stadium for that 1972 game, but he was not the voice of the Blue Bombers at that time. That's something I would love to get him back on our show and talk to him about. It's an honor, I think, when you call a playoff game. Can you imagine any other way that he would rather go out short of calling a Grey Cup final with the uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers? No, I, I think this is a real perfect send-off for Bob. I, I don't think he would want it any other way. The fact that it's not just a playoff game, but a West Division final in their home stadium, calling it from the media center named after him, I think it, it paints a perfect picture. A great cup appearance on the line one more time for the Bombers. So it would be a wonderful send-off to be able to call the Bombers getting back into the Grey Cup. Other news in the Canadian Football League, the Argonauts have signed recently released Stampeders receiver Josh Huff. They've also brought in a former Saskatchewan Rough Rider offensive lineman Thaddeus Coleman and an American linebacker Brady Sheldon. This is all in that push to finish first and host in the East. Uh, a little bit surprised to me that when Bagleton came to town, we did muse that somebody had to go. I did not have Huff on my radar. No, I didn't either. And the Toronto Argonauts continue to be able to find money somehow to get more of these players in. We had kind of speculated that they were under a cap crunch right from the very start of the season with all of the big names that they brought in in free agency. And they, they continue to find a way. I don't know what their books look like, but they have got it figured out and they're bringing in some great talent to make a, a push down the stretch here. I don't think that there's anything to worry about in terms of the books. There's always a forensic audit of all this stuff at the end of the season. I'm a little surprised, actually, that they would bring in another linebacker because they seem to be deep at linebacker. But they've had a couple of injuries, and that maybe necessitated the look. Now, of course, for Sheldon, he's not going to be available to them right away. Uh, Josh Huff probably will be. Thaddeus Coleman, I don't know what his COVID status would be. This all happened just in the last couple of hours. The other thing of note 
is that the Ottawa Red Blacks had to do a little bit of house cleaning over some comments. They did. They have fired running back coach Charlie Egger for making derogatory comments about francophone players. I know there are going to be people that will be defending him saying that you have to have thick skin as a professional athlete, etc., etc. My take on it is there is a way to be a tough coach, but you still have to be respectful of who you're coaching. The francophone community is huge for the CFL, not just in Montreal, but also Ottawa being right on the border. The team says that they have about 10 francophone players and several other coaches and personnel on the team as well. So I haven't seen or heard what the supposed comments were, but the team acted quickly. And in my opinion, they acted correctly in ending his tenure. Across the CFL, there are a lot of graduates from Laval, from Montreal, Sherbrooke. There's no excuse for this type of commentary without knowing exactly what he's alleged to have said. It doesn't make much difference to me. No one needs to be saying anything derogatory about players of a different ethnicity. It doesn't make a difference. So let's have respect wherever we go and let's keep it that way inside the locker room and in the coaching meetings as well. I think you nailed that one. I don't think we've got much more to add to this argument. We're both in agreement that the Red Blacks acted correctly. They are moving on, and so are we. We have four football games from last weekend. The only thing that we know from that set of contests is that there will be no crossover in this year's playoffs. So let's get to the actual football games and discuss what happened. We start with... Friday night and the BC Lions fighting for their playoff lives go into Hamilton who are fighting for their playoff lives and play a really interesting football game. The Tiger Cats win 26 to 18 on the strength of a second quarter where they shut out the Lions 12 to nothing. It was not the big performance that we've seen out of Jeremiah Mazzoli over the previous couple of weeks, but he did have another solid night. 19 for 26 for 258 yards and a touchdown. Again, he wasn't throwing multiple touchdowns and 300 yards, but he looked very comfortable at the helm once again for Hamilton. Brandon Banks finally had a bit better night. Uh, Six catches out of eight targets, 75 yards and a touchdown, which was more of what we had expected to see out of Brandon Banks all season. So maybe he's finally feeling a little bit healthier and a little bit more confident heading down the stretch. The Tiger Cats seems to be holding on quite well offensively, given the fact that they had Braylon Addison for about a cup of coffee. It was really interesting. Mazzoli, Jeremiah Mazzoli, 19 of 26 for 258 yards and a touchdown. Michael Riley, I don't know what else he can do. 33 of 43, 330 yards, but he gets only a pick on the TD interception stat for the BC Lions. He, again, was harassed, harangued, took a beating, stood in and tried everything he could to find a way for that football team to win. He did. I can't speak enough about the toughness and tenacity of Michael Riley. Game after game, he just continues to stand in there and go to battle for the BC Lions. And unfortunately for him, it seems to be for naught. I I can't fathom this losing streak for the Lions I wasn't expecting them to be in the hunt for first place in the West, but I certainly thought they were going to be a lot 
closer than they seem to be right now. And they are in a on a very fine line of missing the playoffs altogether right now. 85 yards of rushing for the Lions, 34 of which came from Riley. Don Jackson led the uh, Tiger Cats with 80 yards. Jeremiah Mazzoli tossed in 18. The Ticats overall, between everybody that touched the ball in the backfield, went over 100 yards. The bottom line in all of this is that Hamilton is starting to show that they are prepared to take on all comers. They've really done well to win on the road in Edmonton. They have won a big game now against British Columbia. They have. It's almost like the Tiger Cats have woken up and remembered that they are hosting the Grey Cup in December, and and now they have determined that they want to be in it. Exactly. It, It almost has that feel. If you get that kind of mojo working for you, you're on your way. 415 yards of total offense for the Lions. 32-58 time of possession. These are stats that would say you've probably rolled up 30 points and you've won. Instead, they have lost. It is a bit baffling to me sometimes how stats can belie what's going on. We saw that with Montreal early in the season where they had huge number of yards and yet they couldn't score. We've also seen a bit of a revolving door in the kicking game in BC, much like we have in Winnipeg this season. And it appears that the Jimmy Camacho era may be over in BC. Nicholas Vogel came in and was two for two on his field goals. So um, it might be a changing of the guard once again for the BC Lions. The late night game on Friday night was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Edmonton to take on the Elk. And with a 19-17 win over Edmonton, marking the first time that an Edmonton football franchise has gone winless at home. It was pretty shocking to see that number of 0 for 7. We had Andrew from the Turf District on about a month ago when they had, I believe, three home games remaining. And he didn't think that they had a chance to get another win. And it turns out his prognostication was correct. And they did go 0 for 3 down the stretch here. Some real tough opponents as well. It was, was not an easy easy stretch for the Elks to try to pull off that win. Um, They gave Saskatchewan everything that they could handle in this game, and it did kind of come down to the fourth quarter, and the Riders pulled off a two-point win. Again, we found out why Duke Williams was brought to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Another short kick nullified by Mr. Williams. It's funny. You sign a player to do one thing, and he winds up doing something even more special for you. Cody Fajardo with the Rough Riders, 24-33 for 241, a touchdown and an interception. Taylor Cornelius, 21-35 for 322 and two touchdowns. Now, last week, I had kind of said that I felt angst for Taylor Cornelius. And my thinking was, is that when Harris left town, wasn't that sort of an anointment that Cornelius would be the starting quarterback? I, I was really impressed with how Cornelius played, given all of that stuff going around him because it isn't a great spot to think that one moment they are going to have me as starting quarterback oh they brought in another guy that's supposed to be ahead of me definitely a tough situation to be in nick arbuckle was not dressed once again for this game dakota pro cup was the backup quarterback of note in this one taylor cornelius threw for over 300 yards and he was running for his life for much of the night as well he had a really tough time with that 
Rough Riders defensive line, they threw a lot of different looks at him and, and gave him a tough time. But again, to his credit, he stood in there, took some big shots. They just didn't quite play out for him the way that they needed it to. And as I said, the fourth quarter was the, the big difference and another onside kick attempt that Duke made another great catch on the onside kick. The Elks made a game of it in the fourth quarter by outscoring Saskatchewan 14-3, to and especially coming down the stretch, it was getting quite dicey for the Rough Riders. Since the Rough Riders had beaten the Toronto Argonauts in Regina 30-16, to this was back in mid-September, the Riders have not beaten a team by more than seven points since in any game that they've won. Everything with the Rough Riders seems to come down to that final play, whether it's a last play field goal that Calgary made in Regina or three times now, Duke Williams snagging an onside kick to snuff out a rally. I'm sure Rough Riders fans would like a little bit more breathing room, but these types of games help teams come playoff time. It's something that I spoke about with Winnipeg. With their large winning margins, it was almost looking too easy for them. And I believe that they need some adversity going into the playoff stretch here to not uh, to remember what it's like to trail in a game to remember what it's like to be in a close one Edmonton goes for 411 yards of total offense and yet scores 17 points we just talked about it in the previous game where BC went over 400 yards and they didn't make 20 points it's it's kind of hard to believe sometimes that this continues to be a trend in this year's stats packages it is what it is Whatever it may be for the Elks, they are now on the verge of this 3-7 and seven road trip that they have to finish the season. They always talk about the snow and the cold on the prairies. Winter weather is starting to work its way across the prairies. Some people in Manitoba woke up to some snow this morning. It looks like it's headed to Saskatchewan overnight. William Powell did not have a great game for the Rough Riders. 14 carries, 46 yards. Walter Fletcher was a bit of a bright spot for the Elks. 14 carries for 74 yards. Coming out of the woodwork, Kian Schaefer-Baker made seven receptions for 65 yards. To kill Williams or Duke had three receptions for 62, including a huge one that he caught down the sideline exactly for what they wanted, a guy that could go up and get the 50-50 ball. Not a lot of big numbers by any of the receivers for the Rough Riders, but really solid all around. They did a great job of securing the ball. Uh, Shaq Evans was targeted 12 times, came down with with six catches for another 51 yards. So Fajardo did a great job of spreading the ball around. He hit a lot of receivers for multiple attempts and multiple catches, but nobody was really that go-to guy that racked up the, the big stats. You could tell that Evans was quite frustrated at some points during the game, in fact, tossing his helmet while he was on the sideline. When the Rough Riders had to put the game away, and I give them a ton of credit for being this bold, they drop back and throw a pass to Shaq Evans to get the first down to secure the ball to run out the clock. Brett Lothar continued an, another strong performance going four for four on his field goals, including a 46-yarder. Sean White with an uncharacteristic miss. He went uh, one for two with a 15-yard chip shot and missed from 49 yards. So that was a Tough one for Sean White. Could have been the difference in the ballgame. He came up short. Moving to Saturday, the Toronto Argonauts go into Ottawa to take on the Red Blacks, and this would be the Red Blacks' final home game of the season. The Argos win 23-20 to on the strength 
of a punishing defense in the second half. Ottawa's held to one score in 30 minutes of football in the second half. And Toronto manages with McLeod Bethel-Thompson to finally get on track and get enough points to win the game. A new starting quarterback in Ottawa, Devlin Duck Hodges, got his first official CFL start going 8 for 22 with a 36.4% completion rate and 90 yards. So not a great first start for Duck Hodges. And we'll see where Ottawa goes from here in trying to find their number one quarterback. I think they have him. It's just not Devlin Hodges. It's Caleb Evans. The problem is, is that they're so desperate to win. They're not giving Evans the time to develop. Sometimes you have to take a loss to let somebody grow. And in a season where you're not making the playoffs anyway, here's the opportune time. I just find this a little bit befuddling why Hodges got the start. I know they invested in him, but seriously... McLeod Bethel Thompson goes 28 of 44 for 293, a touchdown and three picks, which really hurt. It did. And you look at Ottawa putting 20 points on the board, a kickoff return for a touchdown by uh, Devontae Dedman. There was three turnovers by interception for Ottawa as well. And that was what really gave them a chance to win. Their, their quarterback certainly didn't put them in a position to win the game. It was defense and special teams that kept them in this one. McLeod Bethel Thompson, there's been a lot of talk about him being the most outstanding player for the Argonauts this year, but it was not the best performance for him with one touchdown to three interceptions. Toronto brought the law in that second half and especially in that fourth quarter, and I mean Cordero law. Five defensive tackles and two quarterback sacks on the night. He was the difference maker in those final 10 minutes. Hodges Every time he looked, Law was there. You saw some Chris Jones influence there in that fourth quarter. That's the kind of defense we were expecting to see when he joined the Argonauts. And putting pressure on a young quarterback, making his first start, really gave him fits. And that Argonaut defense stepped up when it needed to and really closed this one out. Toronto racked up 431 yards. Again, three games in a row. You won offense, 400 yards plus. There it is again. The Red Blacks only 233, and in that second half, I think it was almost non-existent. The final game, probably the game in many ways, which could have been the most intriguing because you had a couple of different storylines. You had the Blue Bombers trying to go undefeated at home, and you had the Alouettes starting a quarterback whose last start was almost a month to the day, but had been for the Edmonton Elks, and it stunk the place out. With those storylines at play, the Blue Bombers score 10 fourth quarter points and defeat the Alouettes 31-21 to and complete their sweep of home dates in 2021. A little stat to throw out there. The last time the Winnipeg Blue Bombers went undefeated at home was 1984. They went 8-0 and went on to win the Grey Cup. They beat Hamilton 47-17 in the Grey Cup that year. Trevor Harris had a bit of a better performance this time around than he did his last start with the Elks. 14 of 25 for 177 yards, two touchdowns, but unfortunately for him also two interceptions. Harris looked a little bit better, but at times I think he heard footsteps and there were passes that were ill-advised that were let loose. If he had just stood in and waited an extra second, his receiver could have cleared. Zach Kolaris for the Blue Bombers, 21-33 for 282 touchdowns. The big thing, I think, in all of this that Montreal proved is that you can run against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. 
Standback, 16 carries for 106 yards. Artis Payne added another 12 on two carries. If there's going to be a way to beat them, and they often talk about how in cold weather you need a running game, well, if you've got one, maybe that's the way to attack Winnipeg. That certainly seems to be the weak point for Winnipeg at this point. Yards per carry for running backs against Winnipeg seems to be a pretty high stat. Unfortunately for the opposition, you get to a point against the Bombers where you've got to abandon the running game and go to the passing attack. And we see how that has worked out. Winnipeg hasn't given up a half dozen passing touchdowns this year. I think the the two this week made it five on the season. They still haven't given up a touchdown in the fourth quarter and six points in total in 12 games in the fourth quarter. So as much as you can run in that first half and try to build some momentum, once you're behind in that scoreboard, you got to start throwing, and that's where those Winnipeg defensive backs come to play, and we saw a big interception late in this game that kind of sealed the deal for the Bombers. 302 yards of offense for the Alouettes. That's a big number against that Winnipeg defense. 383 yards for the Blue Bombers, a nice number for them. But again, let's not disrespect the Montreal Alouettes defense. That is a good defense, and they also scored a fumble six. They did, and that was a great opportunity for them to get some momentum early on in the game. It was looking like Winnipeg kind of marched down the field, scored a touchdown for Montreal to to bounce back with that turnover touchdown was, was huge for them. It just kind of, again, we saw that Winnipeg defense grind away in that second half. Willie Jefferson did what Willie Jefferson does, knock some passes down. Adam Big Hill had a big night again, and they just shut down when they needed to in order to get this win. It's interesting, the Bombers win by 10, yet a lot of people are saying that they face some adversity in this last week, and I, I don't disagree with that. It was a close game through three quarters. It was tied, and Montreal really gave them everything they had, so... I believe this was the kind of game that Winnipeg needed to have at this point in the season so that they didn't get too far ahead of themselves. The Alouettes got some nice performances. Quan Bray, four receptions, 62 yards. Jake Weineke, who had struggled for the couple weeks, picked up four receptions and four looks for 60 yards and a touchdown. The big story is that the CFL's leading receiver, Eugene Lewis, was up against, for the most part, Winston Rose, one of the late returning ads for the Blue Bombers, and that was a great battle. Lewis, three receptions for 44 yards, a down night. It was. He did have a really nice couple of catches there, but Winston Rose did a fantastic job of of covering the leading receiver and really shutting him down. Winston Rose doesn't seem to have missed a step coming back into this Bombers defense, and they welcomed him back with open arms, and, and he's a great addition coming down the stretch here for the Bombers. down. Four big games in the Canadian Football League this weekend. Doubleheaders on Friday and another doubleheader on Saturday afternoon. We start with game four of the Hamilton Tiger Cats and the Toronto Argonauts. And I remember a lot of discussion in this podcast about, boy, how could you play four games against one team? Well, gosh, that turned out to be an amazing set of games. The Argonauts winning both of theirs by one single point each time. The winner of this game, it's going to be huge as to where they finish in the standings. Hamilton and Toronto, at as of Tuesday night when we record, and these odds are powered by Bet Regal, and we thank them, Hamilton is a plus zero favorite 
with an over under 45. I don't know if I've ever seen an even odd in a football game before. It doesn't happen very often. So this one is in the minds of the good folks at Bet Regal, a pick them. And it's going to be a tough one to figure out. I, I believe Hamilton on the road wants to come in and take control of this East Division. The way they've looked over the last couple of weeks, I would kind of give them the edge over Toronto, but Toronto does have the home field advantage. So I believe that's where these odds have kind of balanced out. And if we see the Jeremiah Mazzoli that we've seen over the last month, I'm leaning towards Hamilton to win this one. The Argonauts, to me, are such a hard team to figure out. I just don't understand what it is about the first half with McLeod Bethel-Thompson. There's so many times that it seems like he's just this giant machine that has to get wound up. And by the third quarter, then once he gets going, it's all well. The Argos are a real enigma this year. They've been good team, bad team, good team, bad team, week in and week out. And even almost quarter to quarter or half to half, like you said, they seem to be slow out of the gate. And I don't know if they can afford to be that slow out of the gate against this Tiger Cats team that's on a bit of a roll. Home field advantage, this is where this might come in massively in this case they'll have beaten the tie cats three out of four times this year who would have thought that when we looked at the schedule back in july that would be a huge win for toronto to to win that season series against hamilton you're right i think going in we all had hamilton penciled in as that team to beat in the east they still very well could be depending on what happens over these last couple of weeks but toronto has done a fantastic job going blow for blow with Hamilton this year and to have already got two wins under their belt and looking for a third really speaks volumes to this rivalry and how close these games can be. The next game is later that night from Vancouver, British Columbia. The BC Lions, who have shown life after getting shut out in Winnipeg, play host to the Calgary Stampeders. They are 1-1 one and one against the Stampeders this season. The Lions winning in Calgary, the Stampeders winning in Vancouver the last time they met, and rather convincingly, 39-10. to 10. Calgary is coming off a bye. They've got Reggie Bagleton back in the fold. They are a minus 2.5 favorite in Vancouver with an over-under of 45.5. That's a fair line. I would I would think that if there's one team, when you look at the stretch run, that seems to be getting it together, it's the Stampeders. They are. I'm actually a little bit surprised to see them only favored by two and a half points in this one. At the same time, I have a hard time believing that a Michael Riley-led BC Lions team can lose seven games in a row. This one is a home game for BC. They're hungry to get off of this losing streak. And I'm going against the grain here. I think Michael Riley throws this team on his back and pulls off the upset, ends the, the six-game losing streak, and knocks Calgary back a peg here. The Lions last one at home on September the 11th, defeating Ottawa 45-13. to They looked impressive that night. Everyone, and and myself, I thought that they were on the prowl. They were ready to go. They go into Montreal the next week, beat the Alouettes in Montreal. And after that, that game against Saskatchewan seemed to derail them completely. Whether or not Cody Fajardo made it across the line on, on the final play of the game, we'll never know because only one person really knows, and that was the official standing right there. No replay could show it. But since that moment, the Lions have gone backwards. 
They have. I, like I said, I'm going on a, a bit of a limb here taking the Lions to pull off the win because Calgary is a team going the other direction. They had a terrible start to the season and have just improved immensely over the last six weeks and are now right in that fight for second spot in the West. And two months ago, we would have thought that there was no way that they were getting up there to battle with the Rough Riders for this playoff spot. Calgary has made a lot of great ads this year. We talked about Jameer Thurman, John Huffnagel running the show. You know that he doesn't take losing lightly. And as the general manager, he's going to find people even if it means bringing back Trey Roberson, Thurman, Bagleton. It's almost as if he's reassembling that 2018 Grey Cup team. Turns out that the next man up was the last man that left. They seem to be bringing back some key cogs in this machine. And that seem, seems to be what has righted the ship here for Calgary. Bo Levi Mitchell is looking a little bit more comfortable every week. I believe he is still having some issues with that throwing arm, but he seems to be managing it to the best of his ability that offense is doing what they can and that Calgary defense has been really I think the difference maker in turning this team around they've played fantastic and they're going to need to do that again against Michael Riley Lucky Whitehead and that crew from BC I give a lot of credit to Lucky Whitehead given what he's been through and given the pain he must feel in that hand and yet still went out and played well in Hamilton I hope that that hand heals up well for him because he's a dynamic player and and one of the most exciting guys to watch in the league. First game on Saturday, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in Montreal to take on the Alouettes. Trevor Harris likely to be the starter again for Montreal. Injury to Matthew Schiltz kept him out in Winnipeg. Winnipeg is a minus 8.0 favorite over under right around that 45 again, 44.5 for this football game. Does Zach Kolaris play the whole game as quarterback for Winnipeg? I don't think he does. I think we're going to see some Sean McGuire time in this one. Winnipeg will come out with their starters in the first half, but I believe that this is the game that is going to get away from Winnipeg. I'm calling the upset in this one. Montreal does win this game because Winnipeg is not taking any chances going into the playoffs. Play a little bit more cautious than we're used to seeing that Winnipeg team. And the eight points for a road team to be favored by is a lot, especially when they've already locked up home field advantage throughout the playoffs. There's little else for the Blue Bombers to prove. As Mike O'Shea, do I start resting defensive linemen? Jefferson, Jeffcoat, Richardson. It could be. We saw Steve Richardson was injured at the beginning of the season and missed a couple of games. And if you look at the injury reports throughout the season, Jefferson and Jeffcoat have both been managed very cautiously throughout the weeks in, in practice. They've been listed with hip injuries and leg injuries, ankle injuries, whatever the case may be. I don't think they're going to get as many snaps as they usually get. It might be time to see Theodric Hansen and some of the other guys on that defensive line coming in and giving these guys a bit of a break. They have nothing to to prove. I believe that both Jefferson and Jeffcoat are going to be CFL All-Stars this year. They've had phenomenal seasons. And if you can give them a little bit of a break to get them revved up for the playoffs, now is the time to do it. I think the game next week in Calgary will be the last chance to kind of get game ready for playoff time, and you'll see the starters play a lot tougher. And depending on what happens this week, 
a win over Calgary can really put a damper on the Stampeders hosting a playoff game. The last time these two teams met in Montreal was September the 21st of 2019. After three quarters, the Blue Bombers led that football game 37-17. to Vernon Adams Jr. goes off and scores three touchdowns that lead the Alouettes to the victory. Jake Weineke with the game winner. Could we see anything like that? It's possible. Like I said, if Winnipeg brings their starters in for the first half and runs up a little bit of a lead, the Alouettes are going to have a chance to chip away. And the big question is, how tough does Winnipeg's defense play? I believe they've got their real mindset on shutting teams out in the fourth quarter. I think that's even seeping into the heads of some of their opposition at times right now as well. They've been so dominant in the fourth on defense that other teams are almost admitting that they can't score. So it'll be really interesting to see how this one closes out. Final game of the weekend, the Edmonton Elks are in Saskatchewan to kick off what will be a crazy week for the Elks. Edmonton is plus 10.5 heading into that football game, and reports are that Nick Arbuckle has been practicing with the Elks. Ten and a half points is a pretty big spread, but I believe that Saskatchewan will have no point, no problem covering that ten and a half. Edmonton is a team in disarray, in my opinion, right now. They're not quite sure what direction they're, they seem to be headed. Now, we've seen some success from Nick Arbuckle earlier, leading the Argonauts to the only win against Winnipeg that we've seen this season. So you might see a little bit of that magic from Arbuckle this time around, but I believe that Saskatchewan has a lot to play for at home right now. And if Edmonton doesn't sneak out a win in this one, I don't see them getting another win this season. Is Jamie Elizondo's job on the line at all over this last week? I guess it would have to be. I I don't think the fan base and the management group want to see their team go 2-12 this season. He's made some kind of interesting calls this season as well that didn't seem to make a lot of sense, and I don't know if it was just a, a rookie head coach, but... Even in the the last game where they were trying to decide whether they're going for one point or two points, and they seem to make a bit of a mess out of that. So those kinds of mistakes are really magnified when you've got a team struggling as bad as they are. I don't think he's going to be fired after only one season, but it's one of those things to really keep an eye on and see how they start that next season. He could be coming out of the gate on the hot seat. The Rough Riders, to me, it's been a long time since they've actually won big And if you're going to be a strong playoff contender, it's not just about always finding a way to win. Sometimes you just have to blow them off the field. It could be a statement game for for the Rough Riders. You're right, Don. Ten and a half points. They haven't won a game by that big of a spread in quite some time. They've been really close, as you've mentioned, seven points or less over this last stretch. So if they're going to have playoff success, it's time for that offense to wake up a little bit and take control. You've got a team... As I mentioned with Edmonton, that's obviously struggling on both sides of the ball. So this is the opportunity for the Rough Riders to prove that they are a contender and that they can match Winnipeg in a shootout. The irony for the Elks is that their only two wins this year came on the road, one in Calgary and one in BC. Not much movement in the podcast pool tracker this week, as Everybody but one person went a perfect four for four and a maximum of 10 points. 
There was one person who shall remain nameless that picked the Montreal Alouettes to beat the Bombers and finish with 8 out of a possible 10 points. So we're coming down the stretch here. There wasn't a single upset last week. We still have Anilio Estevez at the top of the leaderboard with Dini 13 and Gromit 1996, one and two points back respectively. Third down. What's that? Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Okay, Jim, just calm down. Calm down. It's, it's all going to be good. We'll figure this out for you. The East, as we head into the final two weeks of the season, of the two divisions in the CFL, the East is vastly more complicated. Let's play this out. If Hamilton beats Toronto this Friday, Montreal defeats Winnipeg. On the final weekend, if Toronto loses to Edmonton, Hamilton loses to Saskatchewan, and Montreal defeats Ottawa, all three teams... They'd all finish with an 8-6 and six record. Heading into this weekend's games, Hamilton is plus 14 against Montreal and four and against, and is plus 11 against Toronto. So they win both seasonal series, even though the wins are even, based on four and against. Then it comes down to who gets second, and Montreal would defeat Toronto in that scenario because Montreal won the seasonal series by 18 points in the two games that they played. And this was what we had talked about with this 14-game season as opposed to an 18-game season. There's not a lot of room to go on a losing streak. Or we saw Montreal go on a three-game win streak and climbed right back into the race in this East Division. So a lot of ifs, ends, or buts coming down here. That can be avoided if Toronto wins against Hamilton on Friday night. That would mean that Toronto would guarantee themselves first place and that if Toronto loses to Hamilton, Hamilton defeats Saskatchewan, Hamilton will clinch first place regardless of what else happens. For Montreal to finish second, they cannot finish in a tie with Hamilton for second. They have to be one win ahead at the end of the season, meaning that they would have to be 8-6 and six and Hamilton 7-7 seven and seven for the Alouettes to finish second. A win by Hamilton launches them ahead, but does not clinch the division for them because they would have that home playoff date for sure, either a second place or a first place finish, but Toronto would still have a chance to finish ahead of them. The question really comes down to what happens on Friday night with the Argos and the Tiger Cats. One of them's got to win, one of them's got to lose. Well, I could tie. It's going to be an exciting weekend, and uh, this was kind of what we predicted was going to happen this season. I don't think we anticipated anybody running away with that East Division, and this is certainly coming down to the wire that we thought it was going to. I still... I'm going to take Hamilton to finish first in the East at this point. I believe that they are trending the right direction. It's really, really too close to call. Wouldn't it be something if the Ottawa Red Blacks end up playing spoiler in the last week of the season? If Ottawa, who will be coming off a bye to finish the schedule, beats Montreal, it wouldn't be beyond the realm of possibility. In the West, it's a little less complicated. The Stampeders and the Lions go toe-to-toe on Friday night. If Calgary wins, BC is eliminated. If Calgary loses, then BC has to win their final game of the season, which is against a road-weary Edmonton Elks team. Calgary would be playing a team that's clinched first place, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, in Calgary. 
Calgary would know what they need because BC would have played the night before. Again, it's coming down to the wire. Uh, Saskatchewan win or tie will clinch second place overall in the West for the Riders and secure a home playoff date for them. The really interesting thing is this Calgary-BC matchup. A win by the Lions puts them right back into the mix here. This was the division, if you hearken back to our early season picks, that got away from us a little bit. I believe that we claimed that a 10-4 and record would definitely win the West, and we were going to be surprised if anybody got to that 10-win mark. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have come along and blown that out of the water already. If Saskatchewan loses out, Calgary wins out, Calgary will finish second. Saskatchewan's in the playoffs in the West. That's a given. But they have to find a win in Regina versus the Elks on Saturday. If they're going into Hamilton against a Hamilton team that is desperate to get a home playoff date for their run at the Grey Cup on the final weekend, I don't put much stock in the Rough Riders coming away with a win in that one. It's a great weekend coming up. If the cards all fall one way, what happens next week is almost a moot point. But if the cards all fall the other way, the games in the last week of the season are really for all the marbles as, as to who's hosting playoff dates and who's in and who's out. We've talked about the three and seven for the Elks and they cross the paths of playoff teams all over the place. They start in Regina on Saturday, the 13th. They go to Toronto to play on the 16th and they finish the season in Vancouver on the 19th. Yeah, and if by some chance BC is still in that playoff hunt come time that the Edmonton Elks come to town, they are absolutely going to be looking, licking their chops, and it's a situation that they have to take control of in order to stay in it to have any chance of, of a playoff berth. So to recap, Toronto wins, they clinch first place. Hamilton wins, first place is still up for grabs. Montreal must win out to be in the conversation. In the West, if BC wins, they still have a chance. If Calgary wins, Saskatchewan must win to clinch second place and keep Calgary from getting it. If you need a slide rule, I don't blame you. Clear as mud. Fantasy player pick time. I'll go first. Quarterback, Jeremiah Mazzoli, Hamilton in Toronto. 11-4, fantasy points per game, 19.7. Opponents rank in defense, surprising, seventh against the pass. Uh, My running back, I'm going with Don Jackson, Again, Hamilton, 6,213.3 fantasy points per game. And this is the other crazy stat. Toronto's rushing defense, fourth. I'm taking a little bit of a swing this week. I believe that the BC Lions are going to get off of that skid. So Michael Riley of the BC Lions, 10,200. And because they've already wrapped things up and they're going to be throwing some different looks around, from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Johnny Augustine is my running back for 4,900. We saw both him and Brady Oliveira in the lineup last week. Both ran the ball a little bit, and I believe Augustine is going to be the go-to back this week. Receiver, I'm going with Kamar Jordan with the Stampeders. Now that Bagleton is back, I think Kamar Jordan won't get the double teams that he's used to. Should be available for a lot more stats. 7,900, 16.2 fantasy points per game on DraftKings. 
And Jake Weineke from the Alouettes, he was the one guy that did well against the Blue Bombers last time out. He tends to do well at home. 9,400 fantasy points per game, 17.7 for Montreal. I'm matching you on one wide receiver pick. I also have Kamar Jordan from the Calgary Stampeders. And for my other receiver, I am taking Shaq Evans of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for 8,500. As we talked about earlier, I think it's time for that Rough Riders offense to wake up a little bit, and Evans is ready to go. My flex players, Rashid Bailey from the Blue Bombers, one guy I have not touched all year, but he may get some more looks this week. It just depends on who the quarterback is going to be, so this is a bit of a risk. $7,500, 11.8 fantasy points per game. And then my other pick is from the Elks, Jalen Tolliver, who showed something against Saskatchewan last week. And he may do so again this week, given that there are injuries still plaguing that receiving core. So I'll take him for the Elks at 3,207 fantasy points per game. Neither of my flex players have shown a lot as far as fantasy points per game this year, but hopefully they both have a solid week. So I am taking from the Toronto Argonauts, Jawan Breskison for 6,200. He's a 4.4 fantasy points per game. And a new one for me this season from the Calgary Stampeders, Richie Sindani for 5,500, and he is good for 6.2 fantasy points per game. On defense, now this may be counterintuitive and I may have to look at my other picks, but I'm taking the Alouette's defense against Winnipeg, thinking that the points pirate is going to be starting Sean McGuire at quarterback for the Blue Bombers. No guarantee that's going to happen, but if he does play a significant amount of time, I would think that the Alouette's defense should be able to pirate him. $3,700 for the Alouette's 10.5 fantasy points per game. And I have chosen at home against the struggling Edmonton Elks, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, for 6800 I think it's as I said, time for the Rough Riders to show up. A big home game for them. And this is the time for them to shine. 9.7 fantasy points per game. And they are going against the 8th ranked offense in the league. So this is the time for them to rack up some points. Final thoughts. Two weeks to go. A lot of things still undecided. A lot of important games. And you're right. I did a lot of complaining about four matchups between Toronto and Hamilton at the start of the season. And now I can't wait for this fourth matchup. It's going to be huge. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.